right, um, children up to the age of three can go to the back if you wish. And for the rest of us, let's turn to the epistle James. We're in chapter one. That's right, verses 13 through 15. But before I read verses 13 through 15, I want to recap a little bit of what we've already talked about thus far because it's going to help set up the, um, the context of our passage today. Uh, so far in this chapter, we've learned about the testing of our faith. In fact, when you look at chapter 1, the, uh, the majority of it, at least all the way up to verse 18, deals with that specific topic. And uh, the way James is written, it, it's, it, it's choppy if I were to give it a description it almost seems like some of these things don't go together. Some of these statements that James makes can stand on, it, on their own as, as Proverbs, a New Testament Proverbs, as you will. But if you look closely at everything that's being said and everything that is being taught, there is a thread that's going through there. There is a, a theme, so to speak. Uh, so James is on topic, and the topic of discussion right now is the testing of your faith. And we've learned several things about the testing of our faith. Uh, verse 2, he says, we are to count it all joy when we face trials of various kinds. Um, there is no apology from James. Uh, there is no excuse. There is nothing there. That's a hard statement for us. We look at that and we want to rejoice and we want to say amen to that. But at the same time, it's very difficult to have joy in various kinds of trouble or trials. Uh, but that's, that's the reality of it. In Christ, we always have something to celebrate. But then he says that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. Well, that's one of the reasons why we should have joy in the trials that we face. Because God is working in us to produce goodness. He is going to produce steadfastness in us. And then steadfastness produces spiritual maturity. That's what verse 3 says. Well, if during your trouble we lack are you like wisdom? It says that we are to ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. That's what verse 5 says. But when we ask, we have to ask in a specific way, in a way that pleases God. Well, the only way to please God is through faith. So we are to ask in faith with no doubting. Or else, James gives us a warning. We will be tossed to and fro by our faithlessness. Verses 6 and 7. During our trials, we are to keep the right perspective. Perspective is everything. Uh, because if you're walking by faith, maintaining the right perspective will keep you on that narrow path. Um, you know, we go through things, we can't explain them, but there's one thing that we know for sure, because that's what the gospel teaches us, is that we belong to God, and no one can take us away, or no one can break that relationship. So if we have the right perspective, if we're rich or poor, if we're strong or weak, whatever we are, we are that in Christ, and, and, and that solidifies our faith, and that solidifies our hope. So we have to have, to have the right perspective, verses 6 through 7. During our trials, we are to keep, oh, excuse me, that's verses 8 through 11. And then we are to remember that those who remain steadfast under trials are blessed. That's what Pastor Laramie preached on last week. That's verse 12 says, when we have stood the test, we will receive the crown of life. I think that the phrase stood the test is very interesting. And it, it's interesting, and that we're gonna, that's going to 
start our, our sermon this morning, but it also sets up the context for verses 13 through 15. This is what I mean. Verse 12 tells us that our trials are actually tests from the Lord. That's what verse, tells, verse 12 tells us. Those who have stood the test, or you can translate it, those who have, are proven to be genuine, they will receive the crown of life. And this crown of life is what God has promised to those who love him. But here's a question, and this is where we're going to start on verses 13 through 15 today. But what about when we do not, or let me rephrase that. What about when we have not stood the test? Or when the test itself shows us lacking? What about that? Because it's one thing to say, okay, I stood the test. I did what was right uh, during this test. I endured. But does that always happen to us? No, it doesn't. We have to face times when we do not stand the test. We have to endure times when we fail. Well, that's what trials are there for. And if you like some, or sermon summaries, here's, here's a summary for you. Trials are tests from God that expose the reality of our faith. That's what they are. Trials are tests from God that expose the reality of our faith. Let's look at verses 13 to 15 and see what I mean. He says here, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil or he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth, uh, brings forth death. That is the word of the Lord. Amen. So I want to start off with a discussion between tests and temptations. Because in verses 13 through 15, are we can even back up to verse 12 through 15, um, there is a distinction made between test and temptation. In verse 12, we have already identified that trials are tests from God. Uh, he is the one who, in his sovereignty, tests our faith. But temptations are different because in verse 13, James says that God tempts no one. So verse 12, tests are from God. Verse 13, James says, nope, temptations are not from God because he, 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 he tempts no one. Well, why, why not? Well, if God were to tempt you, that means he would to target your weakness. Who could stand? Right? Who could stand a temptation, withstand a temptation from the Lord? Well, since tests are from God, let's talk about that first. They have a special purpose and they're there for a specific outcome. I want to refresh your memories. Uh, verses 2 through 4. Here are, here's the special purpose and the specific outcome of tests or trials. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
Trials are tests from God that he uses to grow us spiritually. After a trial, we have two things to think about, or rather we could have two responses to what has, what has taken place. If we've done well in a trial, we rejoice. We say, thank you, Lord, I was able to stand that test. I was able to endure that test. And we praise God for the spiritual growth that has taken place in us. That's the response we all want to give to the Lord because we know that is pleasing to him. But in many situations, we cannot rejoice right away because we have not stood the test. We have not responded well. So then if that is the case, instead of rejoicing, we are going to be repenting. We'll get to rejoicing after we sort out the repenting first. So we have two responses after a test. Either we're rejoicing in our victory or we're repenting in our failure. We pass the test by walking in obedience or we fail the test, ask for forgiveness, and walk in repentance. See, when God sovereignly allows us to face trials, we have a choice to make. And if we are going to please him, that means we have to trust in him. But when we don't please him, it's because we are trusting in ourselves instead. When we trust in him, it's awesome. We find strength for today and hope for tomorrow. It's a beautiful thing. When we trust in him, whatever it is that we are going through, it strengthens our resolve to be able to make it through that trial. And then all of a sudden, your perspective changes because you know, hey, I do belong to him. I am his child. No one or nothing is greater than him. So then, therefore, whatever is I am enduring today, whatever I am suffering through today, I know that because he is with me, I have hope for tomorrow. But on the other side, when we trust in ourselves instead of him, we are enticed by our own evil desires and we are led to sin. That's, that's the problem between the two. You would think, oh, well, it's good to trust in yourself. Well, not in this case. Not in this case because we cannot trust in ourselves spiritually because we will always come up lacking. We, we need God. We need God spiritually. I mean, we need God for everything, but spiritually speaking, we will always come up lacking. So, we need to trust in him. That needs to be our first response. Even when we can't figure things out ourselves, it always comes back to trusting in God. So although God does test us, scripture tells us that he does test us, he never tempts us. Well, why not? Well, the reason God does not tempt us comes from the fact that James says God cannot be tempted with evil. Now, pay very close attention to the phrase, because it's not that God cannot be tempted. It says that God cannot be tempted with evil. Scripture references God being tempted in several places. But if we look very closely, it's not the same as what James is stating here in this passage. I think it's interesting that the word tempted is translated to actually put to the test. And that, that's very familiar to us. Why? Because what does the Bible tell us about putting God to the test? 
It says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Matthew 4, 7. When the devil came to tempt Christ, that was his response. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Well, let's just think about that statement and let's, let's, deduce, or let's look at what we can deduce from it. If we shall not do something, Scripture is telling us you shall not. So if Scripture is saying you shall not, that means what? It's possible, right? Or else why would Scripture say you shouldn't do it or you shall not do it? So Scripture is telling us you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. That means it's possible to put him to the test, but... We shouldn't. Why? Because God says that's sinful. Well, James says here, God cannot be tempted. And then I'll add the emphasis with evil. Which means God cannot be enticed to do evil. We have to recognize something in Matthew 7 and also Luke 4. When Jesus was tempted in the desert, when he was put to the test by Satan, that temptation was external. It came from out, an outside source. It came from Satan. And Hebrews 4.15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So it's clear, Jesus was tempted by Satan, externally tempted by Satan. Satan tried, but he could never entice Christ to evil. Now, that's Christ. James is saying we have a different battle with temptation. When we are tempted, it's both Externally and internally. Look at verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. The fact that we can be lured, which translates to being drug away, shows the influence of the external temptations. I, I think about going fishing and you want to pick the nice, pretty lure that you think a fish will be able to see in the murky water. Something that light will reflect off of. Something that will attract the fish to bite and to clamp down so that you can catch it. Doesn't that remind you of sin? As we're walking about our day, we're staying focused on what the Lord's saying. Then all of a sudden we see this lure, this shiny little lure that looks enticing to us. And we know if we go over there and bite down on it, we know what's going to happen. We're like the big mouth bass that goes and just bites down on something. We're going to end up being taken out of the water. We're going to end up enduring suffering. But that lure, that lure is too enticing. So the fact that we can be drug away shows the influence of external temptation but there has to be someone casting the lure, and it's not God, James says. He says God would not do that. He cannot do that. Well, it's Satan's nature to tempt us. 
And also, the fact that we can be enticed by our own desire shows the influence of internal temptation. Since evil resides within the heart of man, what we are learning here it is that it is by our own hearts that we are deceived and that we are led away to sin. When we are tempted towards evil, it is not from God. James says we should never say God is tempting me. But rather it is from Satan externally and our hearts internally. That's how we are tempted and that's how we are led away to sin. Now, I don't know. So I was studying the passage and trying to figure out how I was going to lay it out very as simply as I could. I thought that's a pretty heavy topic for a Sunday morning, especially if you haven't had breakfast like me. I just had two cups of coffee. So I'd like to illustrate it for you. And I think the best illustrations come from Scripture. And so we have we have two great illustrations in scripture, one where someone failed and one where someone stood the test. I want to go over the failure first. And obviously, I think most of you know where I'm going with this. Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter 3. It's really plain. It's really cool how it all comes together the way James is describing it here in James chapter 1. First of all, what was the test? Well, if you notice something, tests come with truth. When God commands us to do something or not to do something, that is the test itself. Because either we obey it or we disobey it. Either we pass or we fail. So the test is this. God tells Adam and Eve, gives them everything they need, gives them everything they want, sets them in a garden, picture perfect, no sin, no sickness. Their work is only producing good. They're pleased with everything they have or at least they should have been. God says, there is one thing you cannot do, one thing you shall not touch. He says, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. There it is. That's the test. And like human nature does, we do what we're not supposed to do. Still that way. You want to test human nature? Tell a toddler not to do something. Tell a toddler, you cannot touch this shiny little thing in the middle of the room. Because if you do, this bad thing will happen. It, that toddler will go right after that as soon as you're out of the room. That's exactly what happened. Adam and Eve were left in the garden and they fell to temptation. Well, how did they fail? Well, let's look at that. Look at the external temptation that comes. Picture perfect scene. Here comes the serpent slithering through the grass. He approaches the woman. They have a discussion about what God allows them to do, what he doesn't allow them to do. Eve says what they are not allowed to do, and this is what Satan says to her. You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
There's the external influence. But there still has to be an internal one. Well, Scripture gives us that too. What is Eve's response internally? So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and then she gave some to her husband. So there we have the external, the serpent going in, misquoting God's word. And in her believing the lies of the, of, of, of the devil and internally seeing it as appeasing, even though God said, you shall not do it. And then the result was she ate and then her husband with his own sin, she gave it to him and he ate and all of humanity fell. That should sound familiar to you because that's the way it goes when we are tempted. That's the way it goes when we fell. It's a picture perfect illustration of how it works. But how about one that someone stood the test? Well, how about Abraham and Isaac? Genesis 22 and also Hebrews 11. Here's the test. Take your only son whom you love. And here I'm going to add some things to make it more dramatic. Whom you love, who you prayed for, who you waited on. Who, you, you just been, it's just been on your heart that you wanted a son. That's the one thing you wanted in life. God tells Abraham, take that son whom you love and offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountain. That's the test. It's the command. Is Abraham going to do it or is he not? Is he going to walk in obedience or not? Well, let's talk about the temptation externally. As they're walking through, Abraham initially says, all right, I'm going to saddle my donkey. I'm going to get the wood. I'm going to take my son. We're going to the mountain where God has called us to go to, and I'm going to do this. Well, as he's walking along, here's an external temptation. Isaac questioned his father. And Isaac was not a boy. Isaac was a man at this point. And I think Isaac started putting things together. And as he's walking down, as they're walking down this path, he looks around and he says, wait, hold up, Dad. I see the fire. I see the wood. But you talked about us coming and making a sacrifice to the Lord. We're going to sacrifice a lamb. Where is the lamb at? And so I would not say that this temptation was purposely done by Isaac, that, that, that he was trying to get his father to sin. But in that question, in that scenario, there is room for Abraham to be tested and to be tempted to call it all off. Why? Because his son, whom he loved, the one that God was saying, you shall sacrifice him. He is the one who is asking, where is the lamb? Abraham could have said, oh, you know what? This is crazy. I'm not going to do this. Never mind. We're just going to go back home. He also could have lied. He could have lied and said, oh, this is too difficult for me to be completely and explicitly honest and open with him. 
And, and he could have lied and said, oh, the lamb's going to be there when we get there or just something. I don't know. He could have worded it some way to just completely lie to his son, get to the mountain and then just and then just sacrifice him. But internally, there was something else going on. And this is so awesome. Going all the way to the New Testament, Hebrews 11 gives us some insight as to what Abraham was thinking at that moment in time. Hebrews 11:19 says that he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So as he's being asked by his son Isaac, hey dad, I see the fire, I see the wood, where's the lamb? Here's the response from Abraham. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. That was his response. Well, what was he thinking internally? This doesn't make sense to me, but God has called me to do this. If I have to do this, I have to trust in him. Even if I have to follow through with this, I'm trusting the Lord that the Lord will raise him from the dead. That's... That's just mind-blowing for me. How can someone stand that kind of test? See, it has nothing to do with what Abraham thought of himself. It has nothing to do with Abraham trying to figure out the situation and how to try to trick God into, oh, I sacrificed my son or I did what you told me to do. It was just just obedience the whole way through. Even the thing that didn't make sense in his mind, he still trusted in God. Why? Because God is sovereign. He can do all things if he pleases. See, there are many examples in Scripture of those who were tempted by their evil desires and those who stood the test. Now, let me ask you this this morning. What about you? I've already asked myself that question. In what ways is God testing you through your trials? Because everybody endures something. You may say, well, life is good right now. Well, I would tell you, brother or sister, that could be a trial in itself. Just because you feel like all your needs are met, just because you have clothes on your back, you have a nice home, everything is working out, you think your family is doing really well, there is a test in that. We always go back to, oh, Trials and tests are only when we're going through bad things. No. How are you seeking the Lord in the prosperity of your life as well as when you are weak and poor, pitiful? In what ways have you followed your evil desires? Or in what ways have you stood the test? I don't know about you, but with some trials I do well and others I don't do so well. In other words, sometimes I can rejoice in the fact that God has grown me in some areas and I'm able to not be tempted by my own evil desires. I'm able to trust in him. And then in other areas, I realize I need to repent. But I never, if I really think about my life, I never walk away saying, oh, I'm completely good. I'm awesome. 
I know you guys think that, but I mean, I never walk away from that thinking that. When I have to study for a sermon like this, it's not easy. I have to do a deep dive and like pull this stuff out again and and start thinking about, man, there's some things I really need to repent from. There's some things that I'm really struggling with that I, I, I shall not or I should not be struggling with because God has commanded me to trust in him. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, warns the church about learning from the sins of others, and I think that's important, not only for us to learn from the sins of others in Scripture, but also the sins of others that we do life with. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to learn from each other. But I want to read you, well, I kind of want to go over it just high level, just for the sake of time, but... 1 Corinthians chapter 10, this is what he says. He says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, speaking about their forefathers, that they were under the cloud and they passed through the sea. Basically, what he's saying here is that they had all the blessings they could ever receive from God. Uh, They were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock, which is Christ that followed them. He says that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. Why? For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Verse 6, he says, Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. That's one of the situations that we, that's one way we can be tempted in our blessings. We have all these blessings from the Lord, all these material possessions, and and we think all is well, all is good. And then we start to worship the things that God has given us instead of the God who has given them to us. Right? We start to worship those things God gave us. And, and, and Paul saying, do not be idolaters as some of them were. When the Israelites were in the desert, they, they had all these miracles taking place. They, they saw things that, that no one else would see. And what did they want? They wanted to be back in Egypt where they ate well and they were clothed. And, but yet they were slaves. That's how strong idolatry can be. When you start to depend on yourself, your career, your money, your intelligence, your looks, your wit, your power, your strength. You start to depend on those things and you forget, oh, everything is from the Lord. Verse 8, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. Verse 9, we must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. Verse 10, this is the one that really like just pierced me right in my heart. Nor should we grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Man, my, my grumbling game is strong. See, my wife just laughed at that too. She knows it's true. Verse 11, now these things happen to them as an example. 
but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So here's a conclusion. Listen, God is faithful. That's what we need to know when we walk out of here today. We need to know there's a difference between testing and temptations. Testing is from God. Temptations are from ourselves. We can't blame God for failing a trial. We can't blame God for failing temptation, failing to temptation. That belongs to us. God is only faithful. So no matter what our trials are, we must remember that God is faithful. So that means he can be completely trustworthy, right? Or that he is completely trustworthy. So what does that mean? Then we must place our trust in him. Trusting God enables us to walk in obedience to his word, and it causes us to please him. But when we trust in ourselves over God, that leads us to be tempted by our own evil desires and, and, and we fall into sin. Now, why is this so dangerous? Well, a pattern of failing temptation can be extremely dangerous because of where it could lead us. Look at what he says in verse 15. I'll read 14 and then 15. He says this in verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own evil desire. 15. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now, as I think of examples of this, there is no greater example of someone who has been given over to sin than Satan and his fallen angels. That, that's like the epitome of, that's the example for us in the Bible. We see a bunch of different examples after that, but, but that is the example. Um, but Romans 1 also speaks of people who have fallen into a pattern of habitual sinfulness, and they are actually given over to it by God. Romans 1.28 speaks of these people and says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. You see their lifestyle and they are enemies of God. There is no holiness in them at all. They're purely carnal creatures. But the Bible says, you and I, we belong to Christ. So, there's a different pattern that we follow. We don't follow the pattern of the world, but rather we are to follow his example of holiness and obedience. Now, it's humbling to see how much God tests us because you got to think about it this way. And I've already stated it, but I don't know if we think about it as often as we should. But every time there is a command from God, there is a test for us every time. If God has said, you shall do this or you shall not do this, 
that immediately is a test for us because how are we going to respond to that? Are we going to pass the test by being obedient? Or are we going to fail the test by doing what we want to do? Are we going to please him? Or are we going to sin against him? So it's humbling to see how much God tests us. We always think a testing is just like this severe, hard, just circumstance that we're going through. And we're like, oh, God is testing me right now because he's pushing me to the limit. No, God's been testing you the whole way through and he's going to test you even afterward. In fact, everything you do in life is a test before God. But listen and listen closely. I don't know about you, but when I was in school, it didn't happen much in college, but it happened a lot in high school. Whenever we had a huge test and you walk into the room, especially if like it was a semester ending test or a year ending to annual, your annual test and you're walking into the room and you're completely stressed out because, uh, you know, it's just a major test. and You don't know if you know everything. It's a lot to cover in a semester. So you're thinking, how am I going to do with this test? And you sit down, teacher hands out the test, and then the teacher just surprises you and says, it's an open book test. It's like, whew. Right. Because you already have the knowledge of you studying and preparing for the test. But then you also get to open the book for those questions that you don't know. Right. You get to open the book to seek. I, I, I got the help and resources I need here. Man. We are tested by God every time there is a command. But the awesome thing about it is that it's an open book test. And if we go to his word, it's there. The answer's there, at least. We can't stand before God and say, I did not know. Or I forgot. The answer is before us. The encouragement is there. The strength is there. The hope is there. Everything is there. And there are so many of us not opening the book. We think we have it paraphrased in our minds and we're just like, oh, yeah, where is that passage? What did it say? Oh, yeah. And then, you know, we try to think of it and move on. But instead of going to the book and really looking at it and saying, God, I need I need strength for today. I need hope for tomorrow. Please speak to me through your wonderful word. It's an open book test, brothers and sisters. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. We have a choice to make. We're going to walk in obedience or we're going to choose to disobey. Let us pray.